This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, when it comes to keeping botanical method aquariums, I realize we spend like this huge amount of time talking about, you know, mindset, mental shifts, preparation, ecology, all kinds of stuff. Some of it quite obscure, but scant little time talking about perhaps the less exciting, more nuts and bolts kind of stuff like filtration. Now, we've talked about it before, but it comes up a lot. Um, it's, It's worth discussing, you know, discussing again. Now, first of all, what do we mean when we talk about filtration? Well, to me, filtration can mean a mechanical, chemical, or biological means to remove unwanted stuff. How's that for technical? Very scientific, right? From the aquarium water. In a botanical method, natural aquarium, filtration and its companion, water movement, are influential and pretty important in the grand scheme of things. As with any aquarium, it's important to apply filtration that keeps up with the specific needs of your tank and its inhabitants. Of course, with the heavily botanical-influenced aquarium, there's the added consideration of all those leaves and pods and all that kind of stuff. Now, are they a burden, though? Are they? These items not only are part of the hardscape or the the actual physical structure of the tank, but their very nature makes them a component of the bio-load of the system. And you know, due consideration needs to be paid to the impact on the closed system environment. Remember, leaves, seed pods, and stuff like that are ephemeral in many aspects, slowly decomposing and physically breaking down, releasing not only bits and pieces from their physical structures, but dissolved organic mineral uh, materials and other components that are bound up inside the leaves and seed pods. Now, that's where ecology comes in, and that's also where filtration comes in. Now, Nature provides filtration, and I use that in air quotes, in the form of the nitrogen cycle and the bacteria which accompany it. Now, bacterial biofilms, the the bane of many a new aquarist, are actually a true benefit because of what they're comprised of, like bacteria, hello, and for the potential supplemental food source that they become for your fishes. Oh, I'm meandering, I know, I know. We'll get back to that. But, of course, fungal growth on the botanicals, which is one of the first things you see, also serves to physically break down and process some of the botanical materials and their accompanying organics and, you know, chemical constituents. Now, as fish geeks, we're not just going to rely solely on bacteria and fungi to do the heavy lifting of, you know, filtration for our tanks. I mean, we could in theory. However, in practice, we need some help. And that's where filters come in. The first consideration is, of course, choosing the filter system uh, that's appropriate for the size of the aquarium that you're working with. This is kind of a no-brainer since we typically all know how to do that. Well, I'm assuming we do. And if we don't, we can easily research this topic on like hundreds of, you know, websites all over the internet. You don't need the tint from Tannin Aquatics to tell you how to do that. The other consideration, how's that for me passing the buck, by the way? I'm just like, I don't want to talk about filters. No, so you have to size your filter. That's research time. So let's just cut to the chase here, though. Um, the other consideration when you're trying to achieve that you're trying to achieve 
uh, with filters is what you're trying to achieve. What is your goal? Is your goal to remove bits and pieces of particulate matter from the water column, just physically removing them? Is it to chemically adsorb or absorb nutrients or unwanted compounds from the water? Or is it to facilitate the growth of beneficial bacteria and encourage biological assimilation of organics? Again, we'll come back to that one later. So at the end of the day, here's, here's my big reveal. You can pretty much use any type of filter in your botanical method aquarium. Canister filters, inside filters, hang on the back filters, sponge filters, matten filters, sump systems, all in one aquariums. Hell, even under gravel filters, if that's your thing, if you're super old school or whatever, it really doesn't matter. They can all get the job done, assuming that the job is to accomplish one of the things that I just mentioned up there. Now, I think that the big issue, which forms the basis of a lot of the inquiries that we receive from our community about this topic, is what kind of filter media you need. I think it's more about the filter media than the filter. This comes up a lot because many hobbyists, you know, we all like the tinted water and we're rightfully concerned about whether or not, you know, popular chemical filtration media like carbon and so forth will remove the tint that we all love and everybody strives for. Activated carbon. Personally, I love this stuff and I've rarely, if ever, have run an aquarium without it, at least not for any appreciable length of time. Now, my bias towards using carbon in my aquariums comes from years of keeping reef aquariums and later you know, co-owning a commercial coral importation propagation facility where we had thousands and thousands of corals and tens of thousands of gallons. And, you know, coral produce copious amounts of, you know, mucus, slime, metabolic waste or whatever, not to mention allelopathic compounds, you know, which chemical weaponry used to defend their turf. And carbon, along with admittedly more efficient means like ozone and protein skimming, formed a sort of a defensive triad to keep the animals healthy and the water quality overall high. Oh, and we employed water exchanges, of course. And yeah, we used a shit ton of this stuff in, in our facility. We used a lot of carbon. And there's other things you can use. And, and also, I'm not going to get into corals today, but like, again, overdoing it, over cleaning your water is actually denying corals some of the nutrients that they need. That's a broad, broad topic that I'm not really going to cover today, but something, keep that in your mind uh, for, for the future. So, for reefers, you know, the benefit of carbon are pretty apparent. It reduces discoloration in the water, which is important because light penetration is valuable. You know, with, with expensive lighting systems, you'll want them to actually work. Um, it may bind some organic toxins and it can be a place for beneficial bacteria to actually use as a culture media in a place, in an aquarium, which otherwise doesn't have a dedicated facility for it. It also may remove copper and other trace metals, which bind to organic matter, which in turn binds to activated carbon and gets removed. So sort of indirectly does that. What about for us, the botanical method, freshwater aquarium crowd? Now, as we've discussed many, many times here, there's a sort of obsession in our world about keeping the water in our tanks dark and earthy looking. And the idea of using chemical, you know, filtration media with known absorbent capacity like carbon seems a bit counterintuitive. I get that. Carbon excels at removal of compounds like phenols and tannins. In fact, a lot of, lot of brands of carbon, if you read the labels, they say it removes tannins. Like, ah. But I'll often tell people that I use, uh, use it more or less full time in my you know, blackwater botanical method displays. And this elicits the online equivalent of raised eyebrows now and again. And people will ask me incredulously, doesn't this stuff remove the color from the water? To which I respond, yeah, it does to some extent. Now, again, please look at some of the pictures of some of my tanks. Go on Instagram, look at our feed, and tell me if I've been removing too much tint via my use of carbon. I, I don't think you can uh, effectively say that. Yeah, carbon can remove some of the visual tint and probably even some of the valued humic substances and other beneficial compounds that are exuded or, or 
you know, given off by botanicals, but it's not selective. That being said, it all, you know, it, it, it all also can remove impurities like volatile, dis, you know, um, organic, dissolved organic compounds and, um, urea, some metals, um, you know, stuff like that. It's valuable stuff. The key is just to not overdo it. So here's my activated carbon pro tip. Since it will remove the colors imparted by tannins, if you use the amounts that most of the manufacturers recommend, it, it's going to be crazy. It's going to take it all, all that color out. Just use less, like one half or one third of the recommended amount. Or consider the use of other less indiscriminate chemical filtration media. They're, they're out there. And I know then the inevitable question, there's a lot of different chemical filtration media out there. And not all of them will remove color imparted by tannins. And now here's the tough love part of uh, this thing. I can't stay up on every single one of them because largely because I don't use them. It's not my job to direct you to the right one and to find it and get it. That's your job. You got to do your homework. You got to practice. You can do this. So I don't have a magic bullet for this because I'm not busily trying to use things other than carbon. And it should be noted that activated carbon does not remove all possible toxins or unwanted chemicals. It's not miracle stuff. And it doesn't remove things like ammonia produced by animals. And nor does it substantially affect the carbonate hardness of the water. Other compounds that activated, you know, carbon has little or no ability to remove includes things like calcium, carbon dioxide, fluoride, magnesium, nitrate, nitrite, phosphate, sodium, and iron. It's a lot of stuff. Of course, it's important to use carbon correctly. Now, ideally, when you use carbon in your filter, it should be placed after the mechanical filtration media in the filter where all the water will flow through you know, with little restriction. Otherwise, this stuff is going to clog with debris and other solids, significantly reducing its available surface area for chemical absorption. It becomes a biological filtration media. It actually does recruit biofilms and their constituent bacteria becoming, you know, a biological filter. So although this could be seen as sort of a collateral benefit, I mean, you don't need carbon to do that. If you let your carbon sit too long, in a very strange twist of irony, the sudden removal of portions of the natural biological filtration that's built up could actually be counterproductive and cause a sudden decrease in water quality. In other words, if that becomes your biological filter and you suddenly take it out, you know, to change the carbon, you've taken out a substantial portion of the bacteria. So just don't go crazy and change it frequently. The reality, though, in my opinion, is that even carbon is not really a full-on necessity if you're on top of other aspects of husbandry, like water exchanges and, you know, not overstocking or overfeeding. And what about filters in general? Okay, well, when you break it down, a filter accomplishes the things which we discussed already. Physical removal of materials from the water column, chemical adsorption or absorption. It facilitates, you know, biological activity and circulates and or aerates the water. Now think about this. If we consider the functions that a filter unit or system does, it's not much of a stretch to conclude that, and wait for this, a botanical method aquarium with all those leaves and seed pods and stuff like that functions in a way as the filter. You're like, shit, whoa, seriously? Yeah, my thinking has long been that you can actually consider the tank itself or more properly the botanical environment within it as the biological filter and simply use aeration or surface skimming or circulation pumps to facilitate the gas exchange. That's not exactly revolutionary, of course, but it's an idea that's often been overlooked today. Now think about this. The botanical materials present in our systems provide this enormous surface area on, upon which you know, beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. In addition to physically fragmenting botanical materials, these life forms utilize the organic compounds present in the water as a nutritional source. And of course, in turn, they become food for fishes. 
Oh, that, that part about the biofilms and fungal growth. I know it sounds familiar. Here he goes talking about it again. Let's talk about biofilms a little bit more, just one more time. Because nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of this gooey-looking shit that you see in your tanks. Now, structurally, biofilms are surprisingly strong, which offer their colonial members a sort of onboard nutritional source in exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. They form extremely rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. So when I see articles and videos in which biofilms are considered a nuisance and suggest, you know, suggestions that it can be eliminated by reducing nutrients in the aquarium, I usually just cringe, mainly because no matter what you do, biofilms are ubiquitous and they're present in our aquariums. They're perfectly natural. We may not see the famous long stringy snot that we have nightmares about, but the reality is that they're always present in our tanks regardless. Attempting to remove them because they look weird to us is just, well, stupid and wasteful. The reality is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look. And in and of themselves, biofilms are not harmful to our fishes. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, and by our own hobby definition, a filter of sorts, right? They also represent a beneficial food source for fishes. They're shockingly useful. Now look, I can see rare scenarios where a disproportionately massive amounts of biofilms relative to the water volume of the aquarium can consume significant quantities of oxygen and perhaps be problematic for the fishes which reside in your tank. Maybe there's not enough aeration or whatever. The explosion in biofilm growth is usually the result of adding way too much botanical material too quickly to the aquarium and it's exacerbated by insufficient oxygenation or circulation within the aquarium. Now these are very, very unusual circumstances resulting from a combination of missteps by the aquarist. Yeah, I pinned it on the aquarist. I've seen and heard this happening literally maybe three or four times in over seven years of running Tannix. And Tannin, every single one was attributable to the misstep I just mentioned here. So typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial than they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. Nutrients in the water column, even when in low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through a complex system of water channels where they're absorbed into the biofilm matrix where they become available to the individual cells. It's pretty cool. A lot of biologists feel that this is an efficient method of gathering energy might be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, especially those that live in real turbulent ecosystems like streams or, for that matter, aquariums with a lot of flow where nutrient concentrations are typically lower and widely dispersed. It makes sense. They're trying to get their food. Now, biofilms have been used successfully in wastewater you know, treatment for well over 100 years. It's not a new you know, theory here. And in these kinds of uh, filtration systems, the filter media, which is typically sand, offers this huge amount of surface area for the microbes to attach to and to feed upon you know, all that organic material in the water that's being treated. The formation of biofilms on the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it. Extra credit homework for you, research bioballs. You've probably heard of those over the years. It's uh, one, of the, one of the great aquarium sort of inventions, if you will, although it wasn't necessarily invented by the aquarium, is adopted from sewer treatment technology. But one of the big breakthroughs that enabled us to keep um, corals and you know, successful reef aquariums back in the 80s. Pretty interesting stuff. Biofilm essentially acts as an adsorbent layer in which organic materials and other nutrients are concentrated from the water column. And as you might suspect... Higher nutrient concentrations tend to produce biofilms that are really thick and dense as opposed to those which are grown in low nutrient concentrations. That doesn't require a lot of thought, right? 
And those biofilms which grow in higher flow environments like streams or rivers or areas exposed to wave action or flow tend to be denser in their morphology um, and they tend to form long stringy filaments or streamers which point in the direction of the flow. Makes sense. You've seen that in your own aquariums. These biofilms are characterized by what's known as viscoelasticity. And this means that they're flexible and they stretch out significantly high flow rate environments and contract once again when the velocity of the flow is reduced. Kind of cool. Okay, that's probably way more than you want to know about the physiology of freaking biofilms. Regardless, it's important for us as botanical method aquarists to have, I don't know, at least just a rudimentary um, you know, understanding of these misunderstood, incredibly useful and entirely underappreciated life forms. And the whole idea of facilitating a microbiome in our aquariums is predicated upon supplying a quantity of botanical materials, so specifically leaf litter, for the beneficial organisms to colonize and to begin that you know, decomposition process. An interesting study that I found, and yeah, you can find these studies too if you go online, by a researcher named Meering from 2014 on the nutrient sequestration caused by leaf litter yielded this little interesting passage that I'm going to read to you. During leaf litter decomposition, microbial biomass and accumulated inorganic materials immobilize and retain nutrients and therefore both biotic and abiotic drivers may influence detrital nutrient content. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the study determined that leaves like oak immobilized nitrogen. Generally thinking, it's thought that leaf litter acts as like a sink for nutrients over time in aquatic ecosystems. Now chew on that for a few moments, right? Oh, and, and one more thing, there's another random tidbit um, from a study that I found, is ecologists strongly believe that microbially colonized detritus, you know, the end product of biological filtration or whatever, is more palatable and more nutritious for detritivores, fishes and animals that eat detritus, than uncolonized dead leaves, just inert stuff. The microbial growth which occurs on the leaves and the resulting detritus increases the nutritional quality of leaf detritus because the microbial biomass on the leaves is more digestible than the leaves themselves because of the lignin and all that stuff. So that's kind of cool, right? And never forget, you know, our friends, the fungi, which we've talked about a million times. Okay, again, I've, I've talked about decomposing leaves, biofilms, and fungal growth for like the 11,000th time here on the tent. Where does this leave us in terms of how we want to run our damn aquariums? Well, let's summarize. Um, my suggestion, add a significant amount of leaf litter, twigs, and botanicals to your aquarium as part of the substrate. Allow biofilms and fungal growths to proliferate. Feed your fishes well. It's actually feeding the aquarium. Utilize a filtration system, which you like, if any. So what filter do you use, Felman? Well, I knew you were going to ask that. So personally, I use a lot of all-in-one tanks, which have a built-in filter compartment in the back, which one could, if he or she desires, add chemical filtration media. I generally use nothing in mine. Okay, maybe a small sachet of carbon, but that's about it. I just use it as a settling area for detritus or whatever. Again, I, I feel that it's far, far more important to facilitate biological processes in our tanks that, than to develop a sort of dependency on mechanical and chemical filtration systems. Now, learning to manage our systems naturally with water exchanges, careful stocking and feeding and, you know, that kind of stuff is far more important than, you know, anybody can have a filter, but you got to learn those skills that go with it. Oh, and the other things, decent water movement, circulation, you know, gas exchange. Now, if you do your homework about some of the natural aquatic habitats which inspire our work, you'll find that the majority, not all, of course, have some water movement. They're usually not stagnant, although some are. In an aquarium, we're well advised to have some water movement to facilitate gas exchange, provide a little exercise for our fishes. I know that sounded stupidly quaint, but you get the picture. And to avoid thermal pH and, you know, nutrient layers and striation in our tanks. It does happen. 
gas exchange, which is the, the process, you know, in which carbon dioxide exits into the atmosphere and new oxygen from the atmosphere is dissolved into the water, it's really important in aquariums and aeration from filter returns helps facilitate the process. Fish need oxygen, like uh, five or six parts per million in their water. And now it's not mandatory to have air stones, filter returns, and surface skimmers to create surface agitation, but it sure helps. I suppose you could say that the purpose of aeration is to you know, break up the surface of your water. You're not going to separate the oxygen molecules from the water and force a gas exchange within the water column by cranking up an air stone. That's not what it does. But it will help break up the surface boundary layer to facilitate gas exchange. And I guess that's why I love surface skimmers or filters which skim the surface boundary layer because there's also a lot of proteinaceous waste which interferes with that gas exchange. And uh, these, you know, these types of filters pull it in from the top where the most nutrient-laden water usually is. And yes, yeah, so a wide aquarium with lots of open surface area you know can accomplish gas exchange without supplemental circulation too not as efficiently as mechanical means but it works i mean hobbyists did this for generations before air pumps and filters came along so you know there's that so yeah use what works for you what benefits your fishes and creates the best outcomes for them there's no right or wrong here there's so many approaches any of which could work for you it's no longer you know a cookie cutter recipe for success in the aquarium world it's okay to experiment a little just understanding that the aquarium's an ecosystem unto itself will help you make some more informed, less restrictive decisions about what works best for you and for your tank. The concept of filtration is constantly evolving, like everything else we do in the aquarium world, right? To me, besides being the obvious, you know, having the obvious benefits of utilizing media which can remove impurities and organics on a continuous basis from the aquarium, the most important other benefit uh, benefits, I would should say our circulation and gas exchange and aeration. Of course, there's lots of other viewpoints on this topic, but like anything else, everybody has an opinion. And like so many things that we do in our hobby, considering filtration and, you know, its place in our work requires that we look at things from a variety of angles. It's never just a cut and dry recipe for doing things a certain way. Anything requires, you know, a little bit more consideration before you do it, doesn't it? It does. So that's my little rant on filters today. Stay focused, stay thoughtful, stay curious. Stay proactive and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.